Before we get into this episode, I just want to say a huge thank you to our supporters, Festival Republic. You've probably spent a weekend in a field with them at some point. They put on some of the UK's best known festivals, and they're also leading when it comes to sustainability. From powering their events with cleaner energy to sending zero waste to landfill, they've already switched single-use plastic bottles to those made from recycled materials, brought in deposit return schemes for cups, and trialled ideas like labelling the carbon footprint of the food on sale. They're also active in greening the music industry more broadly. They signed up to Music Declare's emergencies pledges and they're a driving force within Vision 2025, a body bringing outdoor events and climate goals together. Sounds Like a Plan is all about ideas and solutions, so it made sense to me to team up with one of the most proactive festival organisers out there. One of their main events is the legendary Isle of Wight Festival. Amazing history and a huge lineup they've already announced. It takes place at Sea Close Park on the Isle of Wight from the 6th to the 19th of June 2022. Weekend and day tickets are on sale now. Head to isleofwhitefestival.com forward slash tickets. That's isleofwhitefestival.com forward slash tickets to get yours. So big up Festival Republic for their support and their essential work. They say their job is to preserve the live music experience for generations to come. And that is something we can all get behind. Hello and welcome to Sounds Like a Plan, a podcast all about how the music world is taking action in the climate crisis. I'm Greg Cochran, I'm a journalist and podcaster. And I'm Faye Milton, a drummer in the band Savages and co-founder of Music Declares Emergency. And we're going out out on this episode of the podcast, chatting about clubbing and exploring the challenges and responses from the dance music world in the face of the climate emergency. We're joined by Ailey McLaughlin, co-founder of Clean Scene, a collective set up to explore alternative futures for the underground club community and beyond. Yep, and while this might be the final episode of the current series, we can't leave you without some recommendations. So let's get into the podcast. After 10 weeks, 10 episodes, we have reached the final episode of the series of the podcast, Faye. How are you feeling? It's been a good one, right? So great. I've Honestly, I've enjoyed it so much. We've had so many great conversations with people and I just feel like I'm learning every time we do a podcast. It's like a really cheap way of doing a course in music and climate. <laughs> <laughs> something. I don't know. yeah hopefully some people listening feel the same way um yeah so a, a reminder if if you are just joining us now here like towards uh, the end of the series here's some of the stuff that you can go and check out on this series of sounds like a plan we have heard from brian eno obviously legendary artist and co-founder of earth percent lauren sullivan the co-creator of reverb a long-standing climate action group in the states james thornton the leading environmental lawyer who started client earth uh, who are one of Coldplay's favourite climate organisations. We talked NFTs with Max Shan from Serenade. We went to Glasgow for COP26. We did a special there recorded with Raoul Reynolds from Enter Shikari. We also talked about reinventing the world of music merchandise with architect singer Sam Carter. Charlotte Church came on the podcast to talk about nature, climate education and gong baths and everything in between. Jess Kangley, absolutely amazing from Good Energy PR on uh, encouraging artists to use their voice and their platform and bringing 
bringing activist threads together. So there's been a lot that's been happening on this uh, series of the podcast. Faye, I'm not going to ask you to pick your favourites, but um, actually, no, I am. I am. Which were some of your favourite <laughs> moments? Come on. Well, Greg, I couldn't help but notice there that you introduced Client Earth as Coldplay's favourite um, <laughs> climate charity. You yeah. swept over and decided the fact that they stopped any new coal fire power stations being built in Europe over the last decade. A little bit more significant. That's not the fact. They're Coldplay's favourite. That's the fact. So I... <laughs> Your Coldplay reference was strong there. My Coldplay fandom has to find a way of sneaking in. <laughs> exactly. Well, I can't have favourites. It's like every podcast episode is like a, a child and you have to just <laughs> love them equally. Um, definitely some highlights we're hearing about Max Shan's grandmother um, and her understanding how to use NFTs. It was yep. sitting in Brian Eno's studio. I actually really loved our, our chat with Jess. Hangley, um, just good vibes, good vibes, good chats. Yeah, there were so many highlights, so many highlights. And yeah, the chat we had today with Ailey McLaughlin was brilliant. I mean, it was just maybe one of the first times we've all just taken a moment to really feel the seriousness of things. Mm. And, and kind of, I, I really started, I think we were all feeling it after COP, but um, the, just like the, the weight of it all but but plus you know positivity and positive ways you can overcome that and work through it as well so yeah that was a really sort of grounding moment which i really enjoyed too definitely we'll um we'll introduce ailey's conversation in a moment i will never forget recording a podcast in a stairwell in glasgow during my first un climate summit uh, it was a bit of a world away from anything that i've done before it's not like great escape festival or something it was a bit different um there were so many discoveries uh in this series for me obviously uh, you just mentioned james thornton there what an amazing kind of leader in the climate space he and his organization have been over the past few decades made everything feel just so understandable and achievable and within grasp which is really important yeah jess kangley absolutely brilliant from good energy pr and the black music coalition doing such brilliant unselfish work the passion of sam carter talking about the world of merchandise but also sea shepherd uk just fantastic and yeah like you said who can forget sitting in brian eno's cupboard to record a podcast to start this series that was uh, something i will never forget at the risk of sounding a little bit like um we're going to pick up a brit award or something i do want to say a couple of thank yous <laughs> obviously everybody who's been listening on this series just been great and we've had so many people like getting in touch like through social media and just like letting us know that you're listening to the podcast we absolutely love that so cool that there are people out there that have a love of music and a passion for climate action in the same way that we do so thanks please stick with us there will be more um Faye to you thank you very much your your energy and all your ideas and everything that you pour into your work absolutely brilliant and the editors that have helped on this and the artwork and the music and everybody else who's helped us get this series to you as Faye's already said, we've got another super interesting guest conversation to share with you this time on Sounds Like a Plan. Clean Scene is a small collective of people working in the dance music world who've come together to explore some alternative pathways for the scene in the face of the climate crisis. Ailey McLaughlin, who is an artist booker by day, is one of the co-founders. We felt it was important to dedicate some space and time to talk about this, given the fact that obviously dance music is so enormously culturally important and it has like its own sort of practices and trends and the scene has its own culture so we really wanted to get into that clean scene worked on a report published in april the brilliantly titled last night a dj took a flight which was basically an invitation to reimagine a more sustainable dance music industry 
post COVID-19 and I know we're kind of still in the mix with all of that stuff but the work that they put together was absolutely fascinating and full of great analysis one thing that just stuck with me when I read it a few months ago was just one stat which I think really kind of sums up the scale of the challenge by traveling over 118,000 kilometers per year the average DJ from resident advisors top 1000 list has doubled the impact of even the world's frequent flying super emitters that kind of hit home a lot of the clean scene report stuff for me so go check out their work follow them on socials and take in everything they've done they are cleanscene.club on instagram and we get into all of this so yeah we are delighted to welcome ailey mclaughlin from clean scene talking nightlife on sounds like a plan Ailey, welcome to the podcast. So happy to finally get to catch up with you because we yeah. had, well, yeah, we had an aborted attempt to meet up in Glasgow. You were there working uh, with, uh, doing some work with Stop Climate Chaos Scotland. Um, yeah. How was your experience of being in Glasgow during COP twenty six? Hi, welcome. Thank you so much for yeah for the for the invite. Um, yeah, my experience in Glasgow, I feel. It's a bit of a negative one. Um, it was a real. Um, I feel it was like a real, a real drain on on energy, and um, I think also kind of my outlook and and my hopes. Um, and I feel bad because I, you know, so many people have been asking me how was it and asking me to kind of digest it all, and it's taking me a while to process. Um, you know, I had I had to be there. Glasgow is my home city, and I currently live in Berlin. But um, yeah, I went back obviously for for the month of COP, and yeah, I feel it was just it was really intense, and ultimately felt like a bit of a sort of UK government greenwashing exercise. Um, I mean, I was only down at the the kind of official zones um, a couple of times. I was actually, as you said, working with Stop Climate Chaos Scotland. So they are a coalition of organisations who um, essentially are kind of trying to provide a voice for those that weren't able to access the negotiations. So people from the Global South, um, activists, uh, the youth groups, everyday people off the street. Um, we provided space and events for people like that to become involved in COP. And that in itself is obviously an amazing and unique resource. And it is definitely very important for you know official kind of conferences and negotiations like COP the people need to be heard but yeah I just when I went down to the blue and green zones just felt very overwhelmed with how much it felt like um yeah as I said a UK government sort of greenwashing exercise I feel I feel sad about the fact that it is uh has been a really negative experience um I feel like what was you know what came out of it was not what was needed or what was required or and it's such in such an urgent you know situation that we're in yeah just and I just feel a bit kind of embarrassed that I don't I don't feel like Glasgow really you know could cope with an event of that size logistically so I think Glasgow provided a great space for cop to happen so don't feel bad on on part of glasgow the rest of it yeah i I tend to agree with you it's it has taken quite a while to process and i think for me it's like i actually this is a bit of a weird admission but i had a little cry the other day and it was i opened my friend's book um which would be my recommendation for this podcast and it just showed this picture of her like 
punching the air and the side the line was like what does it feel like to win and I just realized this like sense of working so hard towards something and then this constant feeling of not winning and constant feeling of like yeah an uphill struggle without yeah. any sort of I don't know capitulation or something it's like you just constantly where is the light at the end of the tunnel you know and yeah and I think cop felt like that so many of us have been working towards it and putting so much effort into trying to create noise around it I think it worked in the sense of people know what cop 26 is and uh, yeah. what cop 27 will be and, and stuff like yeah. that so people it's more widely known what it is now certainly yeah. in the UK other you know so we did we did part of yeah. our job <laughs> but yeah. we couldn't For it's sure. a shame that all of the amazing activists and people from the global south whose views are so so valuable to the conversation yeah and vital to the conversation it's a shame we weren't the ones in the in the blue zone leading the exactly. talk really isn't it i saw videos of people you know like activists who were meant to be in in a negotiation room, you know, were locked out, sat trying to access the conversation on their laptop or their phone. And it just, yeah, it just speaks for the system, doesn't it? It's just so incredibly broken and unequal. Ailey, just before we talk a bit about clean scene, do you feel a bit defeated? I think certainly I I felt in a similar way of like, still haven't really processed my feelings on COP26 and what it felt like to be there. But finding also myself trying to find the positives I don't know necessarily why maybe it's just like a just what I'm trying naturally inclined to do or whatever it is so you know is it kind of like taking the wind out of your sails a little bit how are you feeling yeah I feel that um I totally agree with everything you just said like you have to focus on the positives because that's as humans like we need coping mechanisms in order to because we I can't feel like this I can't feel this negativity all the time you have to Mm. be above water at Mm. some point (laughs) and by focusing on the positives that gives you that gasp of air doesn't it and in a really maybe over dramatic way I feel almost like I have a bit of PTSD with it because every time I think about cop I'm like oh no I get like it was too it's too much it's too hard but in even having conversations like this where I'm now being like kind of (laughs) put on the spot and forced to talk about it I think is definitely helpful and yeah as ever along with all of the other hundreds of thousands of climate activists and and people who care and have been working on this like yeah we have to like process it and then start moving forward and trying to be positive would you mind telling us a bit about clean scene then and the story behind that how it was formed who clean scene is what you do the work that you've produced so far Clean Scene is myself and two other women who both work in the uh, specifically dance music section of the of the music industry and we formed off of the back of a tweet from one of uh, someone who was kind of previously was involved but is now not um, she tweeted something about kind of big lad DJs not really caring about their carbon footprint and just pissing about all over the world, touring and stuff. Uh, and from the back of that, uh, yeah, Clean Scene was formed. The idea originally in summer 2019, pre-COVID, was to set up a carbon calculator that was specifically for agencies and DJs in order to kind of make it easy for them to offset. Um, so we spent a few months working on creating this carbon calculator. You know, we had the beta test tested and ready to go and then COVID hit. Of course, nobody was flying, offsetting kind of 
seemed kind of completely pointless, obviously, because <laughs> nobody was doing anything. And also nobody really cared about the environment at the start of COVID because they were worried about their, their income and their careers, fairly so. Um, and so then we kind of sat down and scratched our heads and thought, hmm, right, what can we do while we're all locked in? Um, we'll do some research and we'll try and kind of give what we feel a kind of research basis, I suppose. Like, we know what the industry is doing and we know that it's wrong, but, like, can we kind of prove it sort of thing? So, yeah, we we did the report. We wrote the report and it took us, I think, about six months. Um, Essentially, we scraped data, which is some sort of data, technical data term, um, that our data analyst (laughs) did. Uh, She wrote a script and um, essentially scraped data from resident advisor. And then we created from that um, their kind of imagined touring schedules, which all of this data was publicly available. She then wrote some script with atmosphere, which um, allowed us to kind of essentially understand the carbon impact of, of all of these touring schedules as a whole and also like individually. And from there, we created a top thousand list and and wrote the report, um, kind of essentially trying to understand the problem, understand the complexities of the problem, and also uh, what the impact of 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 what this like what did this look like, and then also try and suggest some kind of next steps. The top thousand list was of top thousand top thousand DJs from so RA they don't do it anymore, but they had a a poll, I suppose, of top thousand artists and it was based on sort of how many gigs you had, what your sort of social media reach was, like it's a variety of things that we don't really know. It seems like a bit of a kind mm. of messy glue, but they had this top one thousand. So if you're like number five in the top thousand, you're doing pretty well as a DJ sort of thing. So because we were like, how can we what is our industry? What like the underground dance music, like how do we define what that is? And we just thought that seemed like a recognisable and also kind of fairly kind mm. of accessible way to define what our community was. It's so hilarious how music loves to rank itself. Yeah, it's right? Like, what is it that? is kind of quite oddly disgusting <laughs> as well. Like <laughs> and I think that's why so they why strange. they don't why they don't do it anymore because they're a bit like yeah. embarrassed about the fact that they did do that. <laughs> Useful for you, though. Yes, it gave us the ability to pull the data and also to write the report from that. But um, we need to think about how, moving forward, how we do that now we don't have that. But <laughs> How are you, like, immersed in the dance music world? Is this, is this your thing? Is this where you've been working? This is your passion? This is your love? And also, what do you think are some of the sort of challenges that are unique in terms of things like carbon emissions when it comes to dance music culture compared to folk music or something you know what I mean because it's it's its own thing it has its own ways of doing things yeah my role in the music industry is that I work for a booking agency and have done that for the last four or five years and yeah I feel like I know the industry pretty well from from that work my master's thesis, I worked with Julie's Bicycle back in like 2010. I did some work with them around their industry green um, calculator. And ever since that, I've always just been like, wow, cool. Like my two passions, music and sustainability, like I can bring them together. And now it's kind of just, then I moved to Berlin and it's kind of now gone into this really niche corner of 
underground dance music which is just the music that I love and listen to anyway and work in the industry for so yeah I suppose that's kind of my my background in that per se. The dance music and like yeah DJs specifically the way that the industry is run is um is is really bad news for the environment because of the way that it's structured you know they have had this reliance in the past decade or so the reliance on cheap flights which are cheap because of subsidies um on fuel etc you know that has allowed the DJs to kind of create this career of flying into a city playing a gig flying to the next city you know doing like three or four gigs a week if you're of that level and I think it's this like fact that promoters will line up a night where there's 10 DJs from out of town flying in you know that's 10 artists taking two flights just to get there and back um like it's just a really messed up and overly complicated <laughs> logistical situation and that means that they unfortunately are frequent flyers and have really high carbon footprints which is what we found out in the report and yeah I just think um, it really means that we need to as an industry like we need to challenge the way that transport industry and also the and the fossil fuel industries are funded and how they run and that's massive you know that doesn't just that's not just the dance music industry that's kind of all of us need, need to whether you're a, a person you know uh working in office or mm. construction you know it's it's not just about our little niche industry it comes to like the bigger picture doesn't it i'd imagine it'd be really hard for a dj to opt out of that system it is. you know that's how everything works if you're turning down gigs left right and center because you don't want to fly then people are going to stop offering you gigs and then that people don't expect to book someone from their town maybe or you know or maybe things like residencies or where you play in the same city over and over again yeah that's a a better system but maybe that's not what people expect what do you think about the way that the the industry is set up and particularly things like exclusivity when uh, a promoter has an event and you know they want to make a booking that is exclusive so therefore you can't as an artist you can't say play six weeks before or six weeks after in that same city and things like that that kind of rule it's really not ideal for particularly people playing who want to play within like a sort of certain radius of um of shows it really prevents that repeat booking or you know limiting their their sort of travel that's something that we want to try and address with promoters um to get them thinking like is this really a requirement do we really need to like be putting these like stringent rules on on that sort of thing but festivals I can think of a couple in London that are happening next summer that have very strict exclusivity rules you know they want to sell tickets and it's all part of this whole kind of ecosystem of making money and yeah a bit um a bit rubbish really (laughs) yeah what do you think could help promoters with that do you think it would be coming together as an industry and everyone decides that let's try six months or a year without exclusivity bookings yeah and see if we all still sell tickets or not I mean is that too much of a risk particularly obviously we've done it we did a year year and a half without any ticket selling and so maybe do you think that makes people more open to trying something or do you think it makes people more careful yeah I mean obviously one of the major challenges that we've had is Covid and the fact that we've been locked down and there's also the the looming threat of another potential lockdown this winter it really plays havoc on 
on your outset as an artist because it's such a fragile thing like when's your when when are you going to get income when are you going to get booked again and like how can we make that more um yeah more sort of stable I suppose that's something that we're really kind of challenged with as and also how long as an artist like how long is your 15 minutes of fame going to be and and do are you going to be a, a DJ that's around for two years or are you going to actually establish yourself and and sort of have a lengthy career in this industry and yeah what we really want to do as clean scene but is very much funding dependent is have this sort of we're calling it a promoter incubator and hopefully that will also go on to be like an agent incubator an artist incubator a, a, a round table for everyone where we actually just get a group of people a group of promoters in a room together and say okay what are the problems how can we work these out how can we can, can we commit to creating a charter where we say as a group of promoters, we're going to, you know, reduce our impact by 50% or reduce the amount of international flights by 50%, something like that. Mm. Everything is very kind of unstable at the moment, as, as I'm sure you know, and people's priorities are not, unfortunately, not really on on the environment. They're doing, they're trying to survive. You cannot kind of argue with that, but we can try and kind of host conversations um, mm. like what we're suggesting so that people, the seeds are planted and then when things start to kind of become a bit more no- normal again, then we do them in a better way. Part of what you do with Clean Scene is about exploring kind of alternative pathways for the way that things can move forward. Mm-hmm. We've already talked about what was in the report. You kind of took a, a sort of tr- tried to take a look at like the kind of holistic scene and how it's sort of its impact on the wider kind of climate crisis and, and the contribution towards um, emissions. You mentioned a couple of things already, so that problems around exclusivity and how that can be damaging. And then, you know, the incubator mm. idea sounds great there. Is, is, is there anything else? Were there any other kind mm. of headline things that you think from that report that you'd like mm. to share? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've not actually really given any figures yet. And I think um, the figures are pretty staggering. 35,000 tonnes of CO2 were created in 2019 from this group of 1,000 DJs. And... That is, mm. yeah, I mean, what is 35,000 tonnes? It's like a ridiculously large and un, kind of touchable number. You don't really know. But um, we kind of tried to compare that to something that was tangible. So um, the same same amount of energy is pressing 25 million records. So the... Um, 25 million records, wow. But also equivalent to running 20,000 households electricity for one year. Wow or powering 8,000 festivals for three days. The equivalents are so sort of confusing, aren't they? It's quite hard to get your head around the numbers. I know, because it's... Yeah, you're kind of just comparing one massive mm. number with another set of bigger numbers. It's like, ah. Um, so 51,000 flights were taken. Um, so that's, what, 5.1... Uh, average of 5.1 flights mm. per person. Um, 117 million kilometres were travelled, 3.2 million litres of fuel were burned. Um, but the thing that I think was most shocking for me was the carbon footprint. So when, you know, that's something that I think, especially in the UK, we talk about quite a lot. Um, you know, 
personal carbon footprints and this is bearing in mind not taking into the to the artist's sort of lifestyles in terms of you know what they do in the rest of their life this is just for their careers so we worked out that um the average dj emits 35 tons of co2 and then to break that down even further the average footprint of the 100 djs that were traveling the most was 88 tons and then down to 3.3 tons just for the 100 that were traveling the least so you can see there's like such a massive disparity between like you know the top the top people and and the the bottom people in the list mm. um and just to give that sort of some comparison um the average person in the UK their their footprint is 6 tons so average for the DJ is 35 and then you know the UN suggests that we all need to have a, a footprint of 2 tons in order to keep within the 1.5 degrees so when you think when you compare it to that it's like mind boggling you know that um this is what people are doing as their vocation you know mm. so pretty intense there's also i think the question of privilege comes into it because we we're all quite um used to talking about privilege now when it comes to things like race and and gender yeah and seeing that but it's also when you consider an amazing speaker we had on on a panel at some point was talking about she stopped touring with her choir she was in quite a a big touring choir and she said look I've used up so much carbon and there's people in the global south who use nothing and like how dare I use that you know I'm using it for music which is great but it's like what gives me the right to use so much more than someone else and it so the greater effects will be on them and it's when you start to look at it as a a privilege thing it's I think is going to make people think some more about it as well and that's really what we wanted to do with the report was like present this information people who work in the industry and like we're very very kind of strong in in the belief that it's not just the artists like everybody I play a role in in this because I Mm. provide the logistics you know and Mm. everybody in the industry has a role to play and um what we really wanted to do was just kind of say look this is this is this is not an exact science carbon accounting never is we're not carbon accounting experts but like we are people that work in the industry and want to show we want to give a taste of like this is the the drastic situation that we're in and like we're all very privileged to be in this position to be working in this industry yes it can be shit at times because it's mm. whatever lots of different it's reasons show but business, darling. <laughs> show business. <laughs> I don't know what accent that was <laughs> <laughs> like if we can just at least highlight that this is where we're at and the impact that we're having then people who are in the privileged position who who are lucky enough to be able to are in demand enough to play three four times a week can start actually thinking about what they're doing a bit then that's better than not doing anything at all (laughs) what do you think the impact of publishing the report was did it ignite the type of conversation that you wanted to see we had like i would say 99 percent positive feedback um of course there are the usual naysayers, particularly on like, I remember when Resident Advisor posted it on their Facebook page and there was just a thread of people just being like, like just being really negative and um, 
that that's the annoyingly that's the things that you remember but like 99% of it was really positive but I would say that I think we felt a bit disappointed in the fact that not many are not as many artists shared it as we would have liked but we understand the reasons behind that people do not want to be you know in in this era of cancel culture people do not want to be called out or seen as behaving in a way that's contradictory or whatever so they don't want to be seen as sharing this and then going and jumping on a flight Mm. to do it you know to do a tour or whatever and I think it's a real feeling to want to stay out of culture wars I don't want to be part of this huge argument that's going to take place if I post this so I I do understand that but it's the brave the brave ones who can stand by stand by it and say I'm not perfect and then you know this is the information yeah exactly um and there are people out there there are artists who are doing amazing things that are not flying and we need to look to them as examples of like how to how to do this thing that you love and is your career and your vacation but do it in a way that's like less you know impactful and that as clean scene that's kind of the role that we want to play is like how to help people make that transition but yeah it's just all been very kind of overwhelming and um unstable and with covid and yeah money is a bit of an issue like everything that we've done is we've done voluntarily so hey Ailey I've got a a question um or it's more of a kind of idea that I wanted to share with you and see what you think Mm. because I know when I was touring in a band we spent so you have to sort of market your record to the entire world on the same day so you it just involves like constant touring constant traveling you're never at home you play a show in London fewer times than you play a show in LA or New York or something and it's what what I found that it it meant is that I saw a lot of the world that was nice but it also meant that I didn't feel like we had much of a music scene we didn't have like had a couple of bands Mm. that we hung out with back home but there wasn't like the the great scenes of the world like New York in the 60s and 70s Mm. and 80s nineties mm. <laughs> anyway, but New York. <laughs> just New York so, in general. <laughs> just New York in general. Venues like CBGB's where the same bands would come and play and you hear these sort of great stories about it. And I'm sure there's like, you get to know the MCs and ju- not necessarily personally, you just get to know who was on. And it was really exciting to see, you know, ultimately humans like repetition. That's why Teletubbies exist. You know, you see something and you see it again. It's like, yeah, we do like seeing the same things and getting to know them and becoming familiar with them and noticing smaller changes in them. And I feel like that's something that could, with less travel and less exclusivity deals, then people in London, say, might get to see Jamie XX play every week. You know, that would be really fucking cool. And you get to know his set and you get to know the songs. And that would be the scene in London. And those scenes do exist, but they're quite ruined really by people having to relentlessly tour and be yeah. on the opposite side of the world from each other so is that something you can see as a positive coming out of less travel yeah and I think you said it yourself like these scenes are essentially are focused around uh, a venue or like somewhere where a community mm. collects right and the problem and I think the reason why that doesn't really happen as much in terms of like seeing the same people every week or a couple of weeks or a month or whatever, mm. is that the promoters that are in these venues have to show that they're 
doing a variety of different things, that they're catering for a variety of different crowds and price points and types of music, like etc. But then saying that, like residencies are a thing, they're like mm. a vehicle for that, creating that sort of community, like having Shanti Celeste play at Phonox like for once a week for a month is like really interesting. I would love to know mm. how many people were re- return guests or return ticket holders or was it like brand new people every time mm. did they just really love shanty that they went every you know every week um and there are definitely like venues and communities out there that are doing that and that's all about like celebrating the local and 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 trying to build that and foster that that's where the real magic comes from as well isn't it it's all the the, the scenes you hear about like the metal heads or yeah. like the hospital hospitality i'm not to show my age now but like <laughs> that's where you really like that's where legend comes from that's where that's like it. mixing of ideas and people were like oh, i was there you know during yeah. that time with that scene and that that moment and maybe those ideas are really sort of exaggerated with time and it, it feels like more than it was but mm. it does feel like that's where the legend of music comes from those sort of melting pots and yeah. like plastic people where yes exactly doesn't exist anymore if you're a promoter and you've got to mix it up a bit then it's not going to work at plastic people. No, exactly. <laughs> it's like the same vibe every night. <laughs> yeah. But it was it an amazing vibe. It, yeah. it worked for there. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I think there's just so much to be gained from less travel as well. Are there any other people or uh, organisations within like the, the underground dance community that you think are doing great work in this area that you think are kind mm. of worth, worth listeners knowing about? The first um, organisation, I have a radio show on um, Refuge Worldwide, which is a community radio station here in Berlin. And um, I just interviewed um, her two days ago. The organisation is Clubtopia and they are a Berlin-based project all about kind of sustainable clubbing and and making club culture here in Berlin, um, yeah, kind of address, they're working to address the climate crisis by bringing together you know, people that work in the industry, club owners, club goers, yeah, and really facilitate these kind of conversations and also, yeah, are being very proactive. They do a lot of, like, you know, energy audits and resource audits within, like, actual clubs to, like, okay, let's look at how you can have a better ventilation system that will reduce your carbon or... But, yeah, they're doing really great work here in, here in Berlin. And, obviously, another one, which I'm sure you both know very well, is a greener festival again not specific to underground dance music per se but they do so much great work around making events kind of more sustainable and yeah I think the work that they do is great also you know bigger organizations like Klein Earth Project Drawdown which is an American um, non-profit they I think that are really focused on the kind of proactive side of things I think they're doing a lot of really great work to provide actual like practical climate solutions for you know from the individual person all the way up to like cities governments um Mm. universities whole industries and i think that's what we mean do we need to be able to see like the way out don't we we need to see that light at the end of the tunnel we need to envision how we can take the next step and i think Mm. um that's what like yeah what cop really didn't do was yeah, it feels like it just kind of <laughs> flattened everything rather than like, yeah, giving us uh, a pathway 
for the future. Can I just say one last organization? Um, yes, again, please. not specific to the music industry, but maybe more generally for like the creative industry. It's this group called Clean Creatives. They're working to prevent these sorts of ad um, PR agencies like working with fossil fuel companies. Mm. So like stopping them from having a voice. If you're like a massive creative, creative agency and you say that you have all these green credentials, but then you're still working with fossil fuel companies, like how contradictory is that? Um, and I just, I think that that is so important, like not only stopping them from having a voice, but you're like challenging how that system works. And I think... I love that. If As a fossil fuel company, if you have fewer and fewer agencies to choose and you're ending up being with these sort of like real dodgy ones, <laughs> you've got really shonky looking adverts. Exactly. It's not going to exactly. be so good. And it's, it's just like people power. And mm. I think going back to like at the very start of the conversation, you know, I was so like down about COP, like people power is a wonderful, beautiful, emotional, powerful thing. That is the future, isn't it? Ailey, my final question is about um, clean scene. What, what what comes next for you and, and your and your colleagues working on that? We had an event in October, which was our first in real life event since we kind of got together. Everything that we'd done really was via Zoom and Google Docs, um, and um, yeah, we'd really love to just do do more events um, where we can actually you know speak to people and like engage with people in real life because that's where you know the that's the fun part it sounds very capitalistic but getting some funding so that we can progress our ideas without pulling our hair out and like you know burning out essentially um a little bit of money always helps helps ease that and yeah hopefully yeah with the with the promoter incubator and and these sorts of industry roundtables hopefully that will will be coming soon Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. What an absolute pleasure to speak no to. Worries. It's like the Clean Scene Report, I mean, the amount of work that went into it, obviously, but also just felt really impactful and I love yeah. all of this sort of um, aesthetic and everything on it as well. I thought it was really like really um, arresting. So, yeah. I do. I feel, feel very proud of it. So thanks. <laughs> it's nice to hear. <laughs> it was so great to have Ailey on the podcast. Dance music faces some slightly different challenges from a lot of what we've talked about on the podcast previously um yeah Faye what did you make of that conversation I thought it was brilliant and it was really interesting to hear how it's it's a very similar problem in bands and music the exclusivity is a real issue for um adding huge mileage to artist travel and and stopping musicians of all sorts and DJs taking a route around their touring path that makes sense if you can't play within a certain sort of huge radius then you have to dot yourself all around the world and then it is for the musician who's doing the traveling and the person booking it it's impossible to make it low emission there's no blame you know it's a systemic thing and that's what people talk about when they talk about systemic issues it's like systems change not climate change that's what it means it's like mm. it's all working in a way that's not positive for the mm. planet let's work out a way to make it work better so mm. it's the start of a path isn't it really yeah, totally. And I think you and Ailey really brilliantly explored something in, in this conversation that I thought linked to this idea that we're presented with a problem and then like let's try and reimagine a future that looks even better than what we currently have. So it's become completely normalised, hasn't it? Obviously that DJs fly all around the world playing nights, you know, they could play four different countries in one weekend or whatever. And also like from a fan perspective, it's like completely normal to hop on a plane, go to Berlin for the night, go clubbing, get back on the plane come back maybe you, you know go to the Bally Eric's a couple of times in the summer it's completely affordable why not like the opportunity is there like just 
you know, it's completely normal now. But obviously, that's not really a sustainable way of doing things. But what you talked about in the um, in your kind of like uh, presentation of what the future could look like was just this this idea of like getting back to like local scenes. After listening to this conversation, I was just reminded that like. Yeah, music history is is full of these incredible places that nurtured artists and scenes and communities. And they haven't really, in the age of kind of accessible travel like and, and affordable travel and uh, obviously the internet, I sound like such a granddad right now, but like it's different now, isn't it? Like we don't, like if you asked me like, oh, where have like the big scenes been in the last kind of five or 10 years? And I do have to stop and think about that. It's just this reminder that to be local, to be amongst communities and kind of like for local support networks to for venues and promoters and stuff to work together is a really exciting thing and it can create it can create magic basically. So I love the way that you spoke about how like, you know, getting back to the local could actually be a really, really exciting thing. You don't necessarily have to fly halfway across the world to see a DJ that you might be able to see in your local town at a different point. Exactly. You can have a you can have a great night out in your local town no I don't know it's I can see the the pleasure of doing that sort of the wild travel it's very decadent it's very like exciting but it also comes with a huge bag of like stress and it's long flying places like it's you get on the flight it's just tiring you can't carry your liquids it's like you're trying to get on the flight with a hangover and like all of that stuff that goes on around it so it's not like this perfect system that is like may have to be taken away from people but I think it's um it's also just something that will develop you know this this climate issue is here more and more people will know about it more and more people care about it every single day and you know if you're a, a festival who depends on their audience traveling by plane you might have to think of a new business model anyway DJs might just say no I'm not going to do it I'm not going to do this anymore it's against what I feel is right so it's like the scene has to really get ahead of that opinion shift, really, because that, that opinion shift, I'm pretty sure, will happen. It's, it's happening already. So I'm sure a lot of people are in that stage of, I'm doing this, but I feel like I shouldn't. So that's a kind of midway stage, but it's it's a midway stage on the way to, I'm not going to do it <laughs> kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, so really. if that makes sense, yeah. Absolutely. And um, I can't wait to hear what Clean Scene do next as well, because everything they put together was brilliant. Ailey said they came together because of a tweet and then she DMs somebody and then off you go. You know, this is real grassroots stuff. So many of these types of kind of like organisations from the small to the to the massive rely on funding to be able to you know support themselves whilst they're doing this research to then kind of share that and encourage and come up with ideas. So if you're listening and you like the sound of Clean Scene and you want to support them in some way, please do get in touch with them because let's see more stuff from them because they're absolutely brilliant. Faye, shall we get into some recommendations? Yes. I've got something really exciting to recommend. Okay, let's do it. I mentioned it to Ailey, um, a book that I'm reading that really picked me up from the kind of post-COP26 exhaustion meets sadness meets, oh God, what are we going to do for the world? Everything's a mess ah, kind of feeling. Um, and it's a book by someone who's very dear to me. It's a very close friend of mine called Tamsin Omond. And they've written a book called Do Earth. And it's do with a sort of slash and then earth. Um, and that's available in all good bookshops. And it's a book just um, talking about, you know, how to survive in this you know, if you're an activist, if you're someone who cares, if you're someone who's interested in helping the planet, 
how do you get through this period? How do we survive? And how do we vision what we're moving towards? I think the important part of creating change is know what you're trying to change to. And it's sort of helping to create this feeling of like, what does winning look like? What does success look like in this space in, in climate activism? And one of the brilliant things about this book is that if you're a hardened climate activist, you know, you've been to the Arctic 12 times of Greenpeace and you're, you know, you've, you've seen everything, you've done everything. This book has so much for you. And I think if you're just starting to feel like, oh God, there's a, there's an issue. What do I do about it? This book is also for you. It's very short, very accessible. Um, it's broken up into little chapters with this amazing photography by Alice Eady. And um, yeah, it's just very inviting. Um, Tamsin's a very warm person and they just want to share their warmth, positivity and real reality, really. It's like looking at the situation with a, through a, a lens of reality and then taking it on in a positive way so that's been a super positive book for me um it's great to plug a friend um on our podcast so big up to tamsin and yeah everyone should check out do earth from your favorite bookshop excellent i'm gonna do just that just that um Mine is less of a recommendation this time and more of a, hey, this is a great idea. We should do more of this. Listeners might remember we had Heidi Lemfer from Cloud Control on the podcast earlier this year in the, in, in the middle of season one of Sounds Like a Plan. Heidi is the founder of Future Energy Artists, which is an organisation that she created um, to bring together her musician friends to invest in a solar farm in rural Australia. Absolutely brilliant idea amazing initiative do go back and check out that episode if you've not listened to it already but now feet which is uh, the short for future energy artists have launched feet live and their first initiative is to introduce something called solar slice and it's a really simple but brilliant idea which is designed to unlock sustainability funding through ticket sales to gigs so solar slice is a percent of revenue built into the booking fee for a gig ticket when it's sold and it's 1.5 percent Faye, you get what they're going for? Where? The 1.5 degrees and 1.5%. Is, is that the link? There you go. These are smart people. So basically, it's creating investment in low carbon technologies and schemes via gigs. And the first artist has just signed on and the tour is starting really soon. So great idea. Again, an idea that could basically just be kind of fanned out. Anybody, any promoter, any booker, any artist could get involved with something similar. Go and have a look at what they're doing. There's more info on their website and on their socials. They are feet, F-E-A-T dot artists on Instagram. And more of that kind of energy, please. Big up feet artists because they're doing great things. So yeah, final things to say. Do get in touch. Uh, let us know what you've made of this series of Sounds Like a Plan. Uh, we want to hear about your favourite episodes or favourite guests or favourite stories from Faye and my favourite Coldplay references. We would love to hear from you. We are Sounds Like a Plan podcast on Instagram and Sounds Like a Plan podcast at gmail.com uh, on email. So we'll keep posting in the meantime. So please do stay in touch. Faye, any final words on this series of the podcast? Thanks everyone for listening. It's incredibly flattering that you you listen to us. I mean, obviously it's for the guests, but it's been really nice, especially to have friends of mine and people that I know come up and say they listen to the podcast. So shout out to my friends who are listening and thank you everyone. Looking forward to the next series. Yeah, TBC. We'll try and make it all work and hopefully we'll be back early in what's next year, 2022. Yeah, let's do that. There's lots more to talk about, lots more people and organisations and brilliant work being done that we would love to highlight. So hopefully we'll be back with you soon. And thank you for being with us. 
Thanks for streaming this episode of Sounds Like a Plan. Faye Milton was your host along with me, Greg Cochran. This podcast is made by New Allotment. You can find more about them at newallotment.com. Parts of this episode were recorded at Pirate Studios, Tottenham, London. Pirate offer a range of modern and affordable recording and rehearsal spaces at more than 25 locations across the UK. They're open 24-7. For more info or to book a studio, hit the link in our show notes. This episode has been edited by Mighty Moon Media and the artwork is by Stuart Stubbs. Our theme music was created by lightandthunder.com. Until next time we're together, thank you for listening.